0: And use code Ross. That's code Ross for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call eight seven seven eight Hope NY or text Hope NY four six seven three six nine. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call eight 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 seven. Yeah, Vegas, baby, Vegas! Here on the Even Money Podcast, we are year round because there's always stuff to talk about. Obviously, the NFL is our bread and butter because we have the winner, as we discussed last week, of the only two time the only two time winner, I should say, of the Super Bowl of professional football betting, Steve Fezik who I encourage you to check out on Twitter, at Fezik Sports. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL, the former NFL offensive lineman. Our producer is the great Brian Neal. Check out him on Twitter, at RTF Podcast, which, by the way, is also sort of the hub for all of the RT media podcasts, like the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Business of Sports with Andrew Brand, all kinds of good stuff. That you can get into over there. The college draft as well with Fran Duffy. We're presented today by SaxUnderwear.com slash Tucker. All I will tell you is it's the best underwear I've ever had. And I just made a significant purchase of a bunch of pairs of underwear using my own URL. SaxUnderwear.com slash Tucker. So that I got the 20% off. I was sick and tired of just waiting for the day when my sack underwear came up in the rotation. I wanna have it in the rotation pretty much every day. Last week, Steve, we spoke about sort of your upbringing, um, how you got to be where you are now. We went through growing up in Dayton to Northwestern to be an insurance actuary to the awesome story of you guys finding some edge and some value there with the NFL parlays and making a lot of money off of that, even breaking a couple of the casinos, which is an amazing, amazing story. What I want to get into today in a little bit with you is really kind of what your job is like now, what your process is like now, what you do um, during the week, how you elect to spend as much money as you do when you place your bets, Kind of want to get to uh, the current day, Steve Fezzik. But before we do that, I know you had you had mentioned um, a couple of things while you and I were texting, which I thought was interesting. One was that as much as you love betting, you know the NFL win totals and the early NFL lines, you texted me that really the the college lines are even better this time of year.
1: Absolutely, and the reason being is that. Most people have a pretty good feel for about how good each and every NFL team is. And my projections may be more accurate than the average Bears projections, but we're not going to be that far off. We're all going to rate New England close to where they really should be. But in college football, there's even though I don't know as much about college football, there are dramatic differences in the sportsbooks, power ratings, versus the pros and the numbers that they put together and you'll see line one week one college football games not unusual to see games move 12 points from the openers until they wind up closing some really outstanding value
0: wow so do you do you place a lot of bets and how do you know how many to play since your primary focus is the nfl
1: I coordinate with college football experts. So just to give an example, there was one line that opened up at um, uh, Temple is at Notre Dame. Notre Dame had a down year last year and Temple had a great year, but Temple lost their coach. The sports book opened up the line at Notre Dame minus six. And my college football guru, uh, Brad Powers, contacted me. He said, you know, I laid six, Fez. He says, I make the game 17. So I laid eight. Uh, I laid nine and now the line's 14. So you'll never see that happen in the NFL. So if you do your work early in college football, you're going to find some really good bargains.
0: Are there any other ones? So that was one. Are there any other ones you can tell us about?
1: Um, Sure. He he played a whole bunch of them. Um, he played, uh, I believe, it's Navy's opponent, Florida Atlantic, catching 21, I believe, again, the hosting Navy, He loved that one. He made that line like 11. um, And he played, I think, Florida Atlantic over four wins. That's up to four and a half. He says they're going to win six games this year. So he had a whole bunch of them. Um, You know what you should do? He's tweeted them, I believe. Um, You can follow him. He's a great follow Brad Powers. I've got no affiliation with him. He is at pregame as well. But a great guy, and he tweets out um, lots of outstanding information.
0: So, okay, here's my question, Steve. The books, I mean, people can bet a lot of money on these college games. Why wouldn't they make sure that they have sharper lines?
1: Ah, but they can't bet a lot of money. The limits are $1,000 right now. They're only up at the South Point, and the South Point's very smart. What they do, Ross, is they're going to get all the publicity and the advertising from being the only book that has these lines up. So they know they're going to lose at the first pops that they take on these games, but you know what? They take three or four bets, the lines get evened out, and then they get two-way earn in each direction, and so it's worth it for them to take the loss on the initial hit on these games to then be writing action left and right.
0: Got it. Okay, so it's almost like a loss leader.
1: Exactly, to get an entire summer's worth of... um, advertising and and media exposure and they just launched the visa network the vegas sports and information network where they're doing daily uh, basically a sports center for betters. so uh, very very uh, educating to uh, just listen to it each and every day
0: yeah i bet all right so the other thing is you told me are, are you soon or getting into some type of poker tournament
1: Yeah, so every year I play in one World Series of Poker. A lot of folks think there's just the main event. That's what they see on TV. But there's about 60 events. There's an event every day that goes on. But the one event that has the highest expected value, the plus EV, I strongly believe, is the senior event, Ross. Because that is only folks 50 and over, and I've qualified the last few years, played in it the last two years, cashed in it the last two years. You got to make the top 10% of the players remaining in order to cash. and I find the senior level of play to be far, far beneath that of any other event.
0: That's really interesting. So basically now you're just taking advantage of older people. Is that a fair way to describe it?
1: That is exactly how I would describe it. And why do older people play poorly? This is counterintuitive, Ross. Older people play poorly because they tend to play so predictable. They bet proportional to their hands and they're conservative. So you never see an old guy go to war with a speculative drawing hand. Let's say he's got a flush draw. He's got a couple hearts. Couple hearts flop. Somebody bets. You will never see an old guy just shove all in. You'll see a ball uh, ball cap, twenty two year old kid do it all the time, making a move with a hand where he's got nothing but air and maybe um, a speculative draw to pick something up. Uh, old guys shove all in when they flop three of a kind. They flopped a set. Uh, they have a pair of fives, the, and the flop comes ace, jack, five. Those are the hands that the old guys check raise with where they've already got it.
0: Got it. Okay. I was actually playing uh, Tuesday night. I was in L.A., and I was playing um, a dice game I had never played before. And uh, I won hundred dollars. I was pretty happy. It was I—I I never played it before. I was at uh, a country club with some college buddies, and it, I gotta tell you, it's a real good feeling. <laughs> real good feeling.
1: You know, in the movie Rounders, they show—I uh, guess it's Matt, um, Ed Norton, and Matt Damon—go to a college uh, fraternity and they play against some of the um, the frat brothers there, and they show how poorly the frat boys play. And there's games like that are as good as you can ever get if you can somehow find a way to get into them.
0: It was really fun. Um, I'm not even sure what the specific name of it was, but it's uh, it was a really really enjoyable game. Speaking of that, Steve, you have got uh, well. I was going to say you've got an enjoyable life going, but I'll take a step back. You know, obviously, we talked about how you got to where you are now. What's the best part? of being a professional gambler and what's the worst part
1: the best part is you can set your hours and you can work whenever you want you can not work whenever you want the worst part actually and the second best part is that the summers are the slowest season so you get to spend your summers off um and have a lot of not off but have a lot of free time the worst part ross is that Your biggest money-making situations are oftentimes the funnest times of the year to be out and having a good time. Example, the Super Bowl. While everyone else is at a Super Bowl party, I'm running around chasing prop bets and um, basically uh, working my tail off having no fun whatsoever and not unusual for me to be cutting in line frantically trying to get my last bets in for the Super Bowl right before the, the game kicks off. And driving home, and not even getting home until after the Super Bowl has started.
0: Right. Well, that makes sense because you're trying to go to all these different places. That's that's crazy. All right. So uh, let's talk about sort of your jobs your your income. Um, what I mean, obviously, you work for pregame as well. Um, so that's part of it, um, but. Uh how, how how do you split up sort of uh, Steve Fezik Enterprises these days? How much of you know your income is is made still from from gambling, from betting?
1: Sure, it's about uh, 60% from gambling, 40% from pregame. So what what I do with pregames, I provide content and I go ahead and provide picks, um some free picks and some uh paid Picks. By the way, I'm the dollar handicapper today, so if you'd like to get my baseball pick, you can get it for $1 at Pregame.com. Um, but um, if you want to just follow me on Twitter and, and check in Pregame, I certainly provide free plays as well and have several NFL free plays already. Um, that's about 40% of it. About 40% of it comes from sports betting that I do here in Nevada, so that's it's about split 50-50 and then ancillary income from various things, most of it being poker. I'll play a little blackjack on the side as well. Um, summertime is when I really have time to play some poker. Poker I find to be extremely relaxing, Ross. If I just go out and play at the World Series of Poker in the cash games, it's not like I'm making a ton of money per hour. But more often than not, I'll win just playing bread and butter poker at a two, five, no limit game. That would be what I usually, uh, where you could find me during the summer months. I don't have time the rest of the year playing poker.
0: Got it. Okay. So summer months kind of relaxing. So that I, I get the breakdown then 40, 40, 20. Now, what about, um, when you are making bets, let's just talk NFL, right? How do you determine? And by the way, um, well, let me take a step back. How do you determine how much money to bet? In other words, you know, I, I hear guys email you and they say, or they email us, Ross at rostucker dot com, and they'll say, "How much of your bankroll do you devote to this? How much of your? How do you? How do you decide? I guess what your budget is for a given week or a given season. Do you have a budget? Do you look at it that way? Because I, I know a lot of times people say. The secret is in in kind of knowing how much to bet on certain things.
1: Sure. And you know, before I answer that, I want to finish one point on poker, one for your listeners out there. The number one poker takeaway I would give everybody is that if you've got a whole bunch of chips in front of you and you got one pair and all the money goes in on the river, you're gonna lose. So if you got Ace King and the board has a king on it and you think your ace king is good, it's not good. So if the board is king ten, eight, two, two. Uh, Your ace king is going to lose every time if it's a huge pot. So don't go broke with one pair in no limit poker when you have a big stack. As far as how much I wager in sports, uh, 2% of bankroll is pretty much my bread and butter. So if I go into an NFL season and I say I'm going to set aside $200,000 for my betting bankroll, then 4000 would be my maximum bet, 2% of the bankroll in general that I would want to risk on any one game.
0: So okay, go go back. Uh, I want I want to make sure I understand that. Say that again.
1: So you, someone needs to set the bankroll, what they're actually willing to lose. So let's say it's ten thousand dollars. All right. So if someone says, you know what, I'm going I got ten thousand dollars, I'm gonna bet football. This this
0: now is that, this that is that for a season or a week or what?
1: That's for one season, the entire season. Okay. Two percent of that should be your maximum bet. So if you got ten thousand dollars that you absolutely could lose, wouldn't be you know a heartache. You've got it already set aside. Then your maximum bet, your your I'm sorry, your average bet size should be right around two hundred dollars that you're making on football. And given you do that, you're following what's called Kelly criterion. And as long as you're making good selections, you should be fine and never have any kind of significant risk of ruin.
0: So wait a minute. You just said that that's what your average bet should be. What about your max bet?
1: Yeah. So you could jump your max to like three percent, and a smaller bet would be one percent. Two percent would be your bread and butter.
0: Okay, so if your bankroll is 10000 you stay between 100000 and 300. So you never really make really big bets.
1: That's not true, um, but that's true as a good general guideline. Every now and then, you'll see, if you're really good at this, you'll see numbers that are just wrong. We talked about in college football, for instance, that Temple-Notre Dame game. Well there's an example where your bankroll can be 10,000, but you know what if you see Notre Dame laying six against Temple and you know the line should be 15, all right you can bet 10 percent of your bankroll because you know the number is just completely wrong and, and when it, after it moves you can you can keep two percent or three percent as a gamble and take the other seven percent play it back and play for the middle. but that's only if you really really are certain that a number is wrong that's more common in college football than the NFL.
0: How did you arrive at 2% being the number?
1: You're supposed to bet proportional to your edge. Um, Under the Kelly criterion, you need to hit 52.4% to break even. If you hit at 53.4%, you would have about a 2% edge um, ROI, return on investment, on your wagers. So I strive to hit about 53.5% of my wagers in the NFL that would give me a 2% edge and thus 2% of my bankroll.
0: So I am missing the math here. So if you have to have 52.4% to break even, how is it a 2% edge if you're at 53.5 or whatever?
1: Um it's every 1% above 52.4% that you can wager you're at a, you double it for what your, um, your edge is. Uh, to, to take the, the extreme example, let's say you could hit 100% Ross, all right, and, and, and get every wager correct, then your optimal bet size would be, um, it wouldn't be 47%, you'd It would, you'd have to multiply by two, it'd be 94% of your overall bankroll. Um, so it, it's, it's leveraged such that you take your amount above 52.4% and multiply by two.
0: How many guys would you say do you think are out there in Nevada that are professional uh, sports gamblers? Like, I have no Probably. idea. I mean, is it closer to, to, to 2,000 or 20,000?
1: Oh, much, much more like 2,000, uh, um, maybe 200. I might even go as far as to say, you know, there might be about 30 guys that actually do it for a living. Um, that are the originators, but they've got guys working for them and as part of their networks that are also doing it and winning. Example, there might be uh, one guy that runs a syndicate, and he's the only one who's really capable of winning and being successful, but he might have six or seven guys he's working with that are putting in bets, that are doing research for him, that are all part of their team, and of course they're all professional gamblers, so that it's from that one guy there might be seven or eight guys that are all winning from sports betting.
0: So you think there's only like twenty guys? Now do you include yourself in that or do you not include yourself since you have other income? Oh no,
1: I certainly include myself. I I think anyone that's making I would say a professional gambler, anyone, you know, that's making enough that you know could support themselves just from, from the betting aspect of it. Now what's become harder and harder is that there are fewer and fewer shops and a lot of these guys can only play at half of them because the other half have told them that they don't want their action anymore and you know, that's that's very difficult because it becomes like blackjack in many ways not only do you need to be able to pick winners you got to be able to find places that take your bets as well
0: well that just seems crazy like that that the number one that there's that few and number two that one of the difficulties is finding place that'll actually take your bets.
1: It's a cat and mouse game. And that is why if you can find other areas um, that you can play and have an advantage against the casinos like poker, where you have an advantage against the players, you preserve your playing lifetime because if you show up at the same book at the same time and just hang out all day long, eventually The sportsbook manager is going to say, you know, let me go ahead and he's using a rating card, right? Let's make him use a rating card to take his bets. And then if they add it up and they see, hey, he's beat us the last three years, why are we taking this guy's action? But if you're only there once a week, eh, they probably never even notice you're there.
0: Wow. So that's kind of how you have to go about it.
1: Either that or you can have a higher profile and they'll see you as a loss leader and help promote their book and everything and then keep taking your action. But I got to tell you, I got a friend that he stays under the radar and all he does Ross is he goes into books. He, he will bet if you bet $500 at one book in Vegas, it flags for approval. He has never bet more than $400 at that book his entire life. He has made tens of thousands of wagers all at $400 at multiple locations at that book. He has never gotten a rating card They've never even noticed that he's there despite his large amount of volume because he knows that if he got into the system, he would get kicked out of the system.
0: Wow, that is fascinating. I mean, just the fact that that few of people do it tells you how hard it is, right? I mean, there, I think there's a lot of people, like, and you guys are the best at it. So then the people that are doing it just casually on the weekends – that makes it even less likely that they'd be able to, to really make money from it over the course of a year.
1: And the truth is, if you're good enough to make a living betting sports, you probably should have been good enough to have a better career, making even more money, doing something else with, uh, with less stress. So that kind of is a barrier of entry that there's a whole lot of computer programmers and mathematicians that could have been doing this, but just pursued a career that was a little less stressful and had a little fewer swings to it.
0: How do you stay? Um, you know, a lot of people they get caught up in okay, I'm down, I got to get back up. Like, how do you stay even keeled so that you don't compound your mistakes?
1: Oh, it's difficult. Um, I went through a brutal swing this year. I am still down for the year, despite having a great June. And a big part of it, Ross, is that for years the NBA playoffs offered great opportunities playing unders in select games. Well, this year there were 20 more overs than unders. Anyone who watched the NBA playoffs knows the three ball just kept going through the rim and the whole game had changed. You look at the NBA finals, instead of dealing totals at 205, the last game closed 231, same two teams. It was just a fundamental change to everything we'd seen the past twenty years and that can just shake with your entire existence when stuff you've done and has won for twenty straight years suddenly is completely flawed.
0: Um in terms of your process each week, what percentage of so two percent is the most you would make on any one bet. What what does a typical week end up looking like for you in terms of your bank role and what, um, how much variance is there?
1: Yeah. So week one in the NFL is my most wagered week, just because there's the most games and they're up for not the most games, but that they're up for the most time. So there's a more variance um, in the lines and you'll see some huge line moves. So uh, we've spoken about some of them, you know, getting down example, example, um I bet Tampa Bay plus three against Miami. It's still a good bet plus two. Tampa Bay is better than Miami. I feel strongly. Everyone is going to bet Tampa Bay, so that's one where I bet more than two percent of my bankroll because I'm confident that there's going to be a line move and I'll be able to play back on Miami and keep a position on Tampa of about two percent and have a position for a middle. Similarly, I played New England minus seven against Kansas City, thinking that number has had to go up and it and it did so um i would say on a typical week typically before the games actually kick off maybe one third of the games i'll have a bet on the side and maybe one fourth of them a bet on the total
0: um when you watch games with the amount of money that you're betting on it has it become have you gotten a little more uh like more or less emotionally detached while you're watching the games?
1: Oh, I've become completely emotionally attached on my smaller bets. But when I have a really big bet, I have to tell you, Ross, and it comes down to the final two minutes. Um, I have not been able to eliminate it completely, but it's almost gotten to the point where I don't even want to watch the final two minutes. I got killed on the Super Bowl. I bet that there wouldn't be overtime. I bet Atlanta plus three and a half, and I had under, um, I think, 57 and a half. And it was clear that Atlanta was going to blow it at the end. And it just was – that was one of those games where you're just shaking your head and like a train wreck that in in slow motion you could just see it coming.
0: So are you saying a lot of times you you can't even watch?
1: I don't like to watch the final minute. I don't like to watch the final field goal. I will actually – sometimes on a small bet, doesn't matter. On a really big bet, oftentimes I will not even watch it. I'll just move on and work on something else – and look up what the final is. It's kind of hard that a random event, you know, can swing your results, and you either win or lose four thousand dollars based upon just whether a kicker makes a kick at the end of a game.
0: Oh uh, yeah, it's that—that's crazy. What is your um, what's your process like during an NFL week during NFL season? Like, what's your process? Tell me how it starts, like on Monday through the week before you. You know, obviously, by the time you and I chat Thursday mornings, you usually already know what your bets are.
1: Yeah, so I can't start Monday. I got to start on Sunday, that um, uh, because the lines come up Sunday night for for the games, and I got to be ready. So I pretty much quickly update my power ratings based upon what I've seen on the teams. I ha- I have lines ready to go on Sunday for the next week's games. Now I've already done that from the look ahead lines, so I'll adjust them. Based upon what has happened that past week, and anything that I think is way off, I'll fire on on Sunday late Sunday afternoon when the numbers come up for the following week. I'll go back to NFL Rewind. Any games I didn't see, I'll go back and watch the pieces of them that um, I think are most relevant, or the entire game. Typically, if there's a crazy outcome, so if like the Vikings beat the Patriots, and I haven't seen the game, I'll, I want to see what happened. So I'll look at the box score and then I'll actually watch the game. If it's a predictable result, if I see Pittsburgh beat Cleveland by 10 and the stats have them outgaining Cleveland by 120 yards, I'm like, well, that played out exactly what how I thought it would. I don't have to watch that immediately because it was an outcome that was predictable. Uh, tweak my power ratings. Um, from my power ratings, I'll then tweak what I show the lines for the following week should be. When I see differences, I'll fire. I'll bet Sunday night. I'll bet Monday morning.
0: Got it. Okay. Wow. So you, so even while the games are going on on Sunday, you have to start doing your work to be able to get on the early lines.
1: Yes. Now I've already made my lines. So I, on week one, I'll already have looked ahead to the schedule week two and made my lines and the books will put up a look ahead line for that week as well. So I'll already have my preliminary lines for the following week done But then I've got to adjust them based upon um, my changes in my power ratings and, of course, any key injury that occurs. And sometimes I'll miss one. Sometimes guys get hurt at the end of a game and I'm unaware of it. So you've got to be very careful that, oh, well, the reason that the Saints, you know, uh, that lines two points off is that Drew Brees, you know, might have a concussion, things like that.
0: Are you getting better or worse, Steve, over the years? Worse. Can you even tell? Clearly, clearly
1: worse, Ross. It's a young man's game. Um, um, I'm married. I have a six-year-old. I was better when I was single.
0: Really? Oh, absolutely. I would think that you'd. I would think that you'd be. I don't know when you were single. I would thought you would be like, you know, running around doing single things and not putting the work in.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, that's a great point. From a day-to-day basis, I might be better on any one day of the year, but during absolutely fully focused one football season as a single guy, I could just do it 17 hours a day for three months and I could put aside all the fun and all the other stuff. And now I simply can't do that anymore. Um, and I think that's a big part of why I was able to win the super contest back to back years. Uh, I don't think it was a coincidence that both of those years happened the year before I became a father.
0: Hmm. That's interesting, and then, well, obviously you had a good football season here on on the Even Money podcast. What I I forget, you, I know you finished up like twenty some units, right?
1: Yeah, we've been uh, very successful football. I, I think I still am very good at, or very bad, depending upon your perspective, at prioritizing. I know football is king. That is the time of year. My son's in school. Um, that I can really, really just. Live, breathe, and eat football, um, but I got to. tell you, then December comes around, and after working all those hours, you just can't work. Well, you've got the same schedule, my man. Do you, can you work as hard in January or February as you do during September through November?
0: It's um, it, it's it's been fun though, man. Like so, last year, my last question: last year when you were up twenty some units, I guess we didn't calculate how many units we bet over the course of the year, but I was, I'd be curious as to where that would put you on the 52.4% threshold.
1: Yeah. So we win 20 units. That's going to put us, we probably hit 56, 57% of our plays. Um, Obviously the don't say we,
0: it was you. I was more like up. I think I was up eight units. I'd have to go back and look, but
1: we do our, um, our call typically on Thursday, So the listeners get to hear who I like on Thursday. So my actual results can be better. They can be worse because I'm betting throughout the week and giving out numbers. So it correlates well. But there are times that there'll be games I loved Monday that I can't bet anymore on Thursday because of line moves and vice versa. So um, you're getting a snapshot of the games that I'm playing over the course of the entire week.
0: Wow. Wow. Interesting. I love it. I, I, I enjoyed this, Steve. And next week, we'll start to dive back into um, some, some actual betting stuff. But I just felt like last week it was good to get your background. And this week, it's really good to just kind of understand a little bit more about your process, the numbers. I think we're going to have some guests come on uh, over the next few weeks as well that should be pretty enjoyable to get their thoughts, especially on some of the early NFL lines. Get another Expert opinion in addition to Steve Fezik. Remember, if you ever want to hear um, or ask Steve a question directly, just send me an email, Ross at Ross Tucker dot com, taking advantage of any of the sponsors over at Ross Tucker dot com, including uh, the one I'm loving right now, Saks slash Tucker, or it could be Omaha Steaks with Father's Day if you get that in in time or Maybe even just seek you before you buy tickets to a concert. Other than that, I think we're done. Good luck, everybody. Whatever you're placing your bets on, maybe it's the U.S. Open this week. Good luck. Hope you guys win some money. Thanks for listening to the Even Money Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, the Fantasy Feast Podcast, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.